You're listening to the Citrus Church Podcast. Now, here's the message. Um, this morning, as we get into our, our sermon time, I want to continue. Actually, we're going to wrap up our sermon series called Closer. And in this particular series, what we've been talking about are the ways that Jesus came closer after his resurrection. Now, we've looked at several instances over the last couple of weeks of how Jesus shows up in an unexpected way, just at the right time, with the word or the message that the disciples or his followers needed in that moment. At the same time, we've been learning that God is showing up just in the ways that you and I need it. And though we are socially distant from each other, God is still close to us in Jesus Christ. So I want to wrap up that series today and talk about one of the more interesting conversations that I think uh, happen at the end of the Gospel of John. And I want to begin that idea with, with a question for you. And so the question is this. I'm going to put it here on the screen. I'd love to invite you to share this in the comments. Again, I'm trying to make uh, the sermon a little more of a dialogue to the best of our ability. Uh, so I'd love to know this from you. Who was expected to do the most chores at home? And who got off the easiest? Now, I noticed earlier that uh, my mom is watching from Virginia, so she can check any bias that I might have. I don't know if my sister is watching. Uh, I always felt like I got off the easiest because when there were chores to be done on Saturday, I would just get up and do them. My sister always seemed to find other things to do, and so while I got to go out and play, she was the one who put off her chores, and so she still had to do them. So I feel like I got off easiest, and, and I tried to pick things that I thought were easy and And she picked things, and I always thought her choices were not the easiest ones that she could have picked. Uh, She may differ with me on that point now that we're both adults, but at least that's my memory of the situation. Uh, So uh, Cindy says that mom was expected to do the most chores at home. Uh, I do think that's true. We give the kids chores, and our kids are super helpful with that. It still feels like we have a lot to do. Uh, Teeny was the one who did it at home. I'd love to hear what, uh, what was expected of you. What were your chores when you were growing up? Uh, Nick said that his little brother, Jeremy, got off easy. Um, we, maybe we could bring Jeremy in and get, get some feedback on that. Uh, so another mom was expected to do the most chores. Um, Casey thinks that her siblings would say her. She's the youngest in the family, so that's probably true. Um, <laughs> April says that her mom did the most and her little brother did the least. Uh, My hunch is that most of these are subjective to how we perceive things. But how we perceive things was typically that what we had to do was harder than what someone else had to do, right? It seemed like other people got off easy, right? Maybe we were the ones who had to clean the bathroom, and they just had to dust, right? There's some inequality with that. We feel like, well, what about them? Why don't they have to do the same things that I do? Um. And that's the experience in the story today, is two of Jesus' disciples, well, one in particular, is concerned that someone else is getting off a little bit easier than them. Perhaps that uh, a little brother or a little sister might be the one with something easier than them. So the story, as we look at it today, takes place, again, after Easter, after Jesus has risen from the dead, He's with his disciples, and they're in Galilee. Uh, They've been fishing all night, and he calls them back to shore. We talked about this story. He prepares a breakfast. He forgives Peter for the denials that he had before the cross. 
and he's sharing this moment together of what comes next. So, so all of this takes place in Galilee on the seaside. And, and so I want to offer our scripture for this morning, and I'm thankful uh, for Andrew and Jenny Hansen who will be bringing our scripture this morning. So uh, take a listen. It comes from John chapter 21. Hello, we're the Hansons, and we're happy to be sharing scripture with you today. Today we're going to read John chapter 21, verses 18 to 25. I assure you that when you were younger, you tied your own belt and walked around wherever you wanted. When you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and another will tie your belt and lead you to where you don't want to go. He said this to show the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. After saying this, Jesus said to Peter, follow me. Peter turned around and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. This was the one who had leaned against Jesus at the meal and asked him, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw this disciple, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? Jesus replied, If I want him to remain until I come, what difference does that make to you? You must follow me. Therefore, the word spread among the brothers and sisters that this disciple wouldn't die. However, Jesus didn't say that he wouldn't die, but only if I want him to remain until I come, what difference does that make to you? This is the disciple who testifies concerning these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If all of them were recorded, I imagine the world itself wouldn't have enough room for the scrolls that would be written. Uh, well, thank you, Jenny and Andrew. Uh, and you can see in this particular passage that Peter has a call. And Jesus says to Peter, follow me. Now, this is after all the forgiveness. And it's a reminder to Peter that his call is to follow Jesus in his life. That's his mission, his purpose, his plan, his next step, his everything. And all of a sudden, well, what about John? Well, what, is, what does he have to do? Right. And so Jesus kind of puts this, this check on Peter in this moment. Uh, and I think this is a lot of what we've been feeling and what some of you have shared in the comments, this idea of, well, if this is what I have to do, what about them? And, and we look for fairness, and mostly we're looking to see that someone else has to do the same amount of things that we have to do. There's also in this passage a preview of coming attractions, so to speak of some things that would come next. Because what Jesus says to Peter here is he gives him, at least as we read between the lines, some idea of what would come next, that he would grow, grow old, and that his choice to follow Jesus would eventually lead to his death. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us what happened to Peter. It doesn't tell us how Peter died. The church history and the tradition tells us that, that Peter himself uh, was crucified on a cross. Tradition tells us and has been handed down we don't know it as authoritative, but, but it's, been, it's been handed down that Peter chose to be crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to die in the same way that his Lord did. Uh, and, and while whether Jesus was pointing to that or not or foretelling that or not, what we know is that Jesus was saying to Peter that his life would be lived in service of God. And in some ways that the path that Peter would take would lead him down similar roads that Jesus had. 
And it's not because God likes to see us in these precarious situations. It's because a choice to follow Jesus will put us in direct opposition oftentimes to the ways of the world and to the authorities and the, and the powers of the world because we are choosing to follow God and God's way and to see God's kingdom on earth. And in many ways, this becomes an affirmation of his original call. I hope you heard it in there when, when he says to Peter, follow me. I wonder if Peter thought back to that original moment around the same lake, the Sea of Galilee, when he was busy fishing one day, minding his own business, and along comes someone from the shore hollering out, follow me. And Peter leaves behind his fishing nets and takes on a new vocation, a new life's purpose of being a disciple of Jesus. Had no idea what that meant or looked like for him, but he followed. And now once again, Jesus is calling Peter to follow him, to follow him in his life. Uh, but, but if you notice, Peter uh, turns around, and I think we can relate to Peter because he thinks what we're thinking and says what we're thinking, but maybe you don't have the courage to say. I, I'd like to offer you another question, and you can discuss this with those who are there with you. Uh, or just offer your own answer. You don't have to post in the comments unless you'd like to, but I'd love for you to ask yourself, why did Peter ask about John, the beloved disciple? Do you think Peter was concerned about John's well-being? Do you think he wanted to know, well, if this is how I'm going to die, is this guy going to die too? (laughs) Do you think he wanted to know, will John take leadership in these next moments and days? Who would John become? Will his life look like mine? I think the motives of Peter are mixed and varied. And we don't know for sure exactly why he felt this way, but he's human, we're human, and I think we can speculate. Uh, I want to ask you to think about that. What issue issue is revealed in Jesus' response to Peter? What issue is revealed? Is it the issue of comparison? Is it the issue of jealousy? Maybe equality? (laughs) Maybe Peter just needs to make sure, Jesus, who is your favorite? You like me more, right? Or is it some other reason? Can't we relate to this? Don't we feel the same things too, whether it's siblings who have chores and responsibilities growing up, or whether it's a coworker, with our boss, and we want to know, you know, do you like me more than them, or are they getting as much work as I'm getting? Are they challenged in the same ways that I am? Are they going through what I'm going through? Because, God, we want to make sure it's fair. That's our concern a lot of times, is this idea of comparison and and jealousy and equality for better or for worse. Our motives are mixed and across the board, and it's hard to say one or the other. Sometimes we want to know that we're the favorite. Uh, thanks for those who are sharing their responses in the comments. Um, it does lag a little bit, so you might want to mention the question too. Um, but probably comparison and jealousy. Thanks for sharing those. I think what's happening here is we're playing the comparison game. We're playing the comparison game where we seek to make sure that we are getting what others are getting or that we're not getting in that case. And I think as I look at this, for Peter's comparison here, he's wondering if the other disciples would experience the same things that he does. I think Peter wants to be special, and 
Peter's life, and if you look at all the different accounts and experiences that he had, Peter wants to make sure that, that he is special and set apart, and, and for better or for worse, he's always the one who's out there in front first with the first comment, whether it's right or wrong. He's passionate, and I don't want to fault him for that because I'd rather be passionate and wrong and have to be corrected than to just sit on the sidelines, right? But in this case, I think Peter wants to know, listen, if I'm going to die, I want to make sure he dies too. <laughs> That's what he's thinking in this moment. Like us, Peter wants to know how he stacks up. And how does he measure in Jesus' book? He wants to know if John would live the same life as he did and if he would die in the same way as he will. And I think we want to know also, will we be successful like others are? What does our life path look like? And that's one of those questions that we really need to think about and look at. And as we think about this particular passage today, one of the ways we can allow ourselves to enter into this passage is to understand that what Peter is looking for is some measure of success, some way to say of his life that I'm successful. Now, you and I feel those same things too, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because we want to make sure that our life counts and that it matters and that we give our time and attention and focus to something or to someone who matters. We want to make sure that our life counts for something significant. And as a follower of Jesus, I've learned that the thing that I can do that makes the most difference in the world, as Peter did, is to follow Jesus and to fully live that out in my life. But we also worry about success, and we measure that lots of different ways. Success is measured differently for each person, and Perhaps my measure of success is not your measure of success. And as we look at this this morning, I'd like to ask you the question this morning about success. And, and I want to kind of tick these off this, this morning, but I want to give you a chance to think about that. I am successful in my work, and you can complete this sentence in your head. I am successful in my work when you can fill in the blank. I'm successful in my income when I'm successful in my family, when I'm successful in my faith, when I'm successful in my education, when I'm successful in my social presence, my social media, when I'm successful in my diet, when and I'm successful in my relationships, when. Now, if I asked everyone to individually rank these, you would probably list out, if we're being honest just with ourselves and with God, that some of these categories are more significant to us in our measure of success than others. Perhaps there's two or three that stand out more for you, and I'd like for you at home to just mark in your head or make a mental note of which of these categories are more important to you as you measure and think about your success and I don't want you to think negatively about these or any categories at this particular time. I just simply want you to, to take note of how it is that you measure success for you or, or what that looks like in particular, whether it's a certain income or a certain family dynamic or picture, a certain educational level, uh, a certain diet or certain relationships that you would like or that you have or that you would desire. And I want us to think about those things, and I want us to keep those in mind as— um, I share a little bit about the problem with 
the comparison game that, that we all play at times. The first problem with the, the comparison game is that what happens is we tend to feel better about ourselves and our circumstance when we see someone else who is not doing quite as well as we are. And I don't think we think it through that much. <laughs> We're not inherently bad people, I don't believe. But I do believe there's that part within each one of us, that, that fallen part of us, that, that desires to see ourselves lifted up on our own terms or on the world's terms. And the work of God in your life and in my life is, is removing those things of, of pride that, that push us up or push us up against someone else. And the comparison game helps us to measure our life by saying, well, I'm here, and this person's there, and I'm doing better than they are, and that's good. The awkward part about that is that we're thinking that our lives are better because someone else's life is less or not as much or going worse than ours. And I think that's a very uh, difficult, I think that's a very um, bad place for us to be in. And to recognize the times when we have more because someone else has less. And we see that as a good thing. The other problem with comparison is that comparison often takes something that we're doing and it measures it against someone else. Well, I'm working this level, or my social media presence is at this level, or my income is at this level, or my relationships are in this way. And we look at that direct category of someone else and we say, well, my income is here. That's probably a good example. And their income is there. And so if theirs is more, then we think maybe our life is less, or we think we need to do more to get up to their level. The problem with that part of comparison is we're comparing one aspect of our life with one aspect of someone else's life. And we're saying that because they are doing better or they have it together over there and we don't have it together in this one area, that everything they're doing is good and everything that we're doing is wrong. And so the problem with that is it tells us that everything that we're doing isn't working and it prescribes their life as better than ours. And what it doesn't account for is that there's probably something in their life that isn't going great either. But our human perspective sees those things and sees these different inequalities within each other. We begin to compare ourselves to one another, and it's discouraging because we're not really comparing apples to apples or oranges to oranges. The third problem is really the context, as I call it. It's how what we are doing isn't working and how we need to change it to make our life work. And oftentimes, this is what's marketed to us. If we will buy this product or do this program or do this thing, then we can fix this area and we'll be better than everyone else. That's what we're being sold. I heard a story uh, from a, a Christian author and pastor whose uh, books were, were published and courses were published uh, through one of the, the nationwide magazines that were distributed to, to kind of the Christian community, so to speak. And I remember he said at one point that he was scrolling through the thousands of articles on a website, and he's thinking, well, here's a conference that tells me my preaching isn't good enough, and here's a conference that tells me that my, my Bible studies aren't good enough, and that my pastoral care isn't good enough. 
And every one of these tells me that if I just buy what they're selling, I can fix those things that aren't working. And the irony for him was that some of those were his courses, telling others that their preaching could be better if they just listened to him. How many of us see in our Facebook ads, in our news feeds, online, in the mail, advertisements that say, well, your work life could be better, well, your, your, your diet could be better, your income could be more if you just buy this plan or do this thing or purchase this product. And these are all the subtle messages that tell us to compare ourselves with others. And that's the trap that Peter fell into. That everyone's life is different and everyone's life is unique. And as maybe you've seen online, that we're all in different boats and all of our boats look different, especially in this quarantine. But we're all in this together. And we hurt ourselves when we try and compare ourselves with others. Back to Peter. Jesus was not going to measure Peter by his superiority or by his inferiority to another disciple. Peter would be measured by this question, Peter, did you follow me? Not did John follow me. Not that other disciples follow me. Not that the people who sat under you follow me. But did you, Peter, what did you do? Jesus' call was for Peter to follow him. And I love the follow-up that he gives him at the end. Basically, don't worry about it. What he's telling Peter is stay in your lane. Don't worry about John's lane. Stay in your lane and you follow me. You live your life 100% in devotion to me. I want to look at uh, Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 3. And uh, I'll try and put it here on the screen so we can share it together. It says, Because of the grace that God gave me, I can say to each one of you, don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think. Instead, be reasonable since God has measured out a portion of faith to each one of you. We have many parts in one body, but the parts don't have the same function. In the same way, though, there are many of us, we are one body in Christ, and individually, we belong to each other. We have different gifts that are consistent with God's grace that's been given to us. If your gift is prophecy, you should prophesy in proportion to your faith. If your gift is service, devote yourself to serving. If your gift is teaching, devote yourself to teaching. If your gift is encouragement, devote yourself to encouraging. The one giving should do it without strings attached. The leader should lead with passion. The one showing mercy should be cheerful. And I love that passage because what it tells us is that God has uniquely gifted you and me, and you have gifts that I don't have. And perhaps I have gifts that you don't have. And if I worry more about getting what you have, then I'm not doing the things that God called me to do. But if I can see the gifts that God's given me, then I can follow Jesus in that way, and you can too. Every follower of Jesus, every believer in Christ, is given gifts for service. They're called spiritual gifts, and maybe you've done a spiritual gift survey in the past. I think that'd be something good to do. But each one, of the, each one of us has something that we can do, something that is unique that only God has equipped us to do. And when we live from there, we don't need to compare. God has called each one of us to walk a different journey with Jesus. 
to face our own trials and to not covet the lives that we see in others because we're really not seeing the whole picture of their life. Sure, what we see may be easy, but I bet there's some hard parts in their life because I know there's hard parts in your life, even though you've got things that are working for you. John Wesley, the the father of Methodism, said that it's not only by acting, but chiefly by suffering that the saints glorify God. What did he mean by that? That it's not really by what we do, but the thing that glorifies God is that a lot of us as followers of Jesus will end up suffering, like, like Peter did. And we end up suffering not because God likes to punish us, but because a choice to follow Jesus, as Peter made, would lead him to be uh, countercultural, to push back against the norms of society, to push back against the places where injustice was done, and to say, no, 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 the world of God looks different than this world. And it stretches the circle wider to include more people than perhaps the world is comfortable with. What this tells us is that following Jesus isn't always a blessing. It isn't always a blessed life. It's challenging. It's hard. It puts us in difficult circumstances. But we don't need to worry about how someone else is following Jesus. We just need to answer the question for ourselves, did you follow Jesus? We know that God is in control so we can trust and follow in the good times and in the bad. And as Jesus said to Peter, what is that to you? You follow me. I want to leave us with a question today that I really can't answer for you, but that each of us has to answer on our own. What does it look like for you to follow Jesus? Does it affect how you make choices in life? Does it affect whether you go to church or not? Is it practices like prayer and Bible reading? Is it growing in trust with God? Is it being a disciple of Jesus? Is it to walk in the world the way that Jesus did? Is it all the above? How would you define it? If you had one sentence maybe a tweet, 120 characters. And you had to write out for yourself, maybe in two sentences or a tweet, what it looks like to follow Jesus. I'd love to know what that looks like for you, but that'd be a wonderful activity for each one of us to think about, is what does it look like for us to follow Jesus? That'd be a great activity to do this week, is to take time to simply think that through, to get out a piece of paper or or a journal, and to write that down, to maybe write it in a notepad on your phone. What does it look like for you to follow Jesus with your gifts? Again, if you've got something, I'd love to hear that in the comments. Feel free to share those down below. Uh, I'd love to hear that, but that's also something that you, I want to encourage you to do, uh, even if you don't share it. And perhaps this morning, if you feel like you're just not sure, I don't know what it means for me to follow Jesus. Well, that's what prayer is for, an opportunity for us to ask from God what it looks like for us to do that. Thanks for listening. Make sure to visit our website, citruschurch.org. If you found refreshments in this message, share it with a friend. And hey, God loves you.